pray. Lord, it is indeed our prayer that all the nations will praise you. We thank you that you are indeed the God and the King of the entire universe, the one who is worthy of all the praise that we and every other human being can give and much more besides. We honor you, we praise you, we recognize your ultimate authority over everything. And therefore, Lord, we bow before you as your humble servants and as people who have been commissioned by you to be your instruments, your hands and your feet in this world. And Lord, we pray that as we contemplate this task and as we do business as a synod to facilitate uh, this work, Lord, that you will bless our deliberations, that you will indeed grant us much wisdom, and Lord, that you will uh, birth and grow within us a deep desire to seek your glory above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, uh, a blessed Ascension Day to you all, uh, and to those who speak Dutch and Afrikaans, Gesiende Jemelvaart. Where I come from, where I grew up, and even so in the Netherlands, um, even, even today in the Netherlands, this is a public holiday. So if it was up to me, um, you wouldn't have done any work uh, today, but I'm not sure that uh, our esteemed chairman uh, will agree. Uh, I want us to, to read uh, from one of the accounts of the Ascension uh, that we find in the, the Book of Acts, where um, Luke uh, tells us uh, how the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven. Uh, and then I am going to uh, just very briefly uh, outline some of the, uh, the progress of the gospel that took place uh, after this event. So Acts 1 from verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, <clears throat> for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord now bless us as we meditate on his word. My uh, son William, who is nine, uh, is convinced that he will one day grow up to be a great author. Uh, so he 
comes to me uh, every now and then with one of his stories um, that I have to cast a critical eye on. And the other day he came up with one, um, and it started as follows. It was a dark and stormy night. And I said to him, William, you know what? I can really tell this is the beginning of the story. Um, because I, I think this line has been used uh, a few times before. You know. um, uh, so we are faced with a beginning as well here. A beginning of a momentous story, uh, much more than a story, uh, the telling of God's acts throughout history. I think it is very, very instructive uh, to see where Luke placed his fuller description of the ascension. Uh, as you will know, uh, Luke Acts can be seen as a, as a combined work uh, of not only the, the life and ministry of Jesus, but then also how the Lord Jesus grew his church. Uh, and at the end of the, the first volume, uh, Luke does very briefly refer to the ascension. He says that uh, Jesus uh, blessed his people and uh, was then taken up into heaven. But here we see a much fuller description, uh, a beginning, uh, a beginning of one of the, the great uh, tales, stories, uh, history uh, of the way in which God acted uh, in, in history. And I think through making this editorial choice, uh, Luke clearly communicates to us that the ascension uh, is not only to do with an ending. Uh, obviously, it is an ending. It brings to an end Jesus' earthly ministry. He will not be with them in the flesh anymore. But if it's only an ending, uh, the proper response may have been something like, that was marvelous, let's go home. But that's not how the ascension is related here. Uh, it is related, um, therefore, not only at the end of the, the gospel uh, of Acts, sorry, of, of Luke, but now also here at the beginning uh, of, of the book of Acts, to clearly communicate that we are uh, on a new course now. Uh, some great and momentous things will happen. And therefore, there is this air of expectation. Uh, go back to Jerusalem, Jesus tells them, and wait. Wait for what? Or wait for the pouring out of uh, the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses, uh, verse 8, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I've been asked this morning to speak uh, briefly about the outward focus of the church, um, specifically in terms of uh, ministering the gospel to those who may not be part of our churches yet uh, and uh, whom we have been tasked to, to reach uh, with the gospel. So I thought it would be really good to, to just very briefly uh, trace some of the lines that we see clearly appear here in the first little bit of Acts uh, see how they played out in the rest of the book, and then uh, to make some applications. I only have an hour and a half, so I can not <laughs> make you look, Mr. Chairman. Um, <laughs> now, I only have 20 minutes, so I will uh, just very, very briefly uh, make some basic uh, remarks uh, that 
and I believe are uh, deeply rooted in the progress of the gospel here uh, in the book of Acts. First thing that is already very clear in our text is that none of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Christ tells these uh, disciples. In other words, the, the mission of the church can really only properly start uh, once the Spirit has been poured out. Um, before that, it will essentially be uh, human activity, and one suspects futile human activity. Uh, the church has its birth uh, in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and is then uh, sent on mission. So mission is initiated, empowered, and directed uh, by the Holy Spirit. We see this all through the book of Acts. And it has therefore often been pointed out that we should probably refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit rather than the Acts of uh, the Apostles. Because we see that mission and the work of sharing the gospel uh, seems utterly impossible without the role of the Holy Spirit. After the Spirit is poured out, see that the church is mobilized, uh, the church is equipped for a task uh, that has a, a worldwide focus. Uh, we, we hear of a mission that must in fact go to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit works with his church to see this mission come to fulfillment. For example, Acts 13, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the task to which I have appointed them. He even directs uh, in what we would call operational terms, uh, later in Acts 16, precisely where Paul should go uh, with this mission. And perhaps above all, he gives the ability to boldly witness fearlessly to the truth of the resurrection. So being reminded of the central role of the empowering presence of the Spirit is very important as we contemplate our own mission it can act as a much-needed corrective to some current conceptions of how we should do ministry and mission. It is sadly often the case that mission can be presented as an essentially human activity, as if the salvation of the nations depended on our activity. This can lead to a despondency when we look at the harvest field, maybe not even the harvest field in the entire world, but look at Australia and say, goodness, she's big. We are few. How on earth will we ever be able to make an impact for the gospel? But when we remember that in the first instance, we are dealing here with the mission of God in which we are chosen to be instruments, we can have an entirely different perspective, knowing that it is his enabling power that causes this mission to go forward. So we must remember that we don't, do not carry the, the burden of world missions on our own. We are, in fact, junior partners uh, to what the Spirit is doing in this world. The second emphasis that also shines clearly from our text is that the Church of Christ is called to witness uh, to, the to, to the resurrection and the fact that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the risen Lord. There's one word that clearly defines the missionary task in the book of Acts. It is, of course, the word... Uh, uh, martyres in Greek that we translate as witnesses. We hear it for the first time here in Acts 1 verse 8 and then encounter it for another 12 times throughout the book. The church is clearly called to witness uh, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
Luke uses this word in two ways. In the first instance, it is used for those who were actual witnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we also see this term applied to Christians as they are sent into the world. For example, uh, the Apostle Paul, Acts 22, verse 15, uh, and Stephen, Acts 22, verse 20. And on reading the accounts of the way in which the early believers responded uh, to the call to witness, it becomes very, very clear that at the heart of their message, and this is very important to hear and to hold on to with everything in us, at the heart of the message was the fact that Jesus Christ is alive, that he is the risen Lord. It is instructive to analyze uh, the, the major sermons and speeches in Acts and see how they always circle back to this one vitally important truth. Christ is alive. He is the king, the risen king, and is therefore worthy of all obedience. It is instructive furthermore to note that this is not simply laid out in a cold and calculated way as saying this is something that you need to accept intellectually. No, people are called to a specific response, namely repentance, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, preaching in the book of Acts almost always ends with a very, very strong appeal to leave what is behind behind and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Following him is more, that, more important than anything else. And witnessing to this truth defines in many ways, our gospel task in this world. This can once again act as a much-needed corrective uh, to the way in which mission is sometimes approached in the 21st century. When we analyze the work of the gospel throughout the world, it is often the case that missional drift occurs. This is where secondary purposes begin to displace the primary purpose of our mission. Examples of this trend abound. The world is full of schools and hospitals with beautiful biblical names, that have left their purposes, their spiritual purposes behind. Also, just about every large city in the Western world plays, ho plays host to a YMCA that is not particularly young, male, or Christian anymore. It is possible to drift away from this primary purpose and, and this primary emphasis of gospel ministry. In highlighting this issue, I'm not denying the value of education, medical treatment, or social justice at all. But it is to be lamented when organizations that started out with a zeal for God's gospel uh, deliver services in a way that do not recognize the centrality of the resurrected Christ. As a church, we may think we are far removed from this, uh, but let's just be very, very aware that it can be a temptation to sideline the heart of the gospel, which is witnessing to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The third emphasis that we also see in our text is that uh, the task of the church is in fact worldwide, that it has to do with the crossing of borders. Uh, Jesus speaks of uh, his people ministering in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So one of the key themes is to answer the question, how far should the church go with this message of Jesus, not only in geographical terms, but also in terms of who we witness to. The early parts of the book of Acts can be seen as very much a working out of this question, where believers from a mainly Jewish background had to ask the question, uh, what to do with the Greeks? Uh, how 
Jewish does a Gentile have to become, in other words, to be able to follow uh, the Lord Jesus? And we see that as this question is being worked out, uh, more and more people from Gentile backgrounds begin to enter the church. And the Spirit, again, directs the ministry of the early church to show them the doors have to be wide open. Uh, the gospel is, in fact, for everyone. It is emphasized again and again, therefore, that the message of the risen Jesus should be preached to all people, including those who have previously lived their lives outside of the covenant community. The gospel should be presented to them in ways that they can understand and respond to. See, for example, Paul's sermon in Athens in Acts 17. And those who come to Christ from a Gentile background should furthermore be willingly and enthusiastically accepted as brothers and sisters in Christ. So not only a wide geographical reach that's implied in Acts 1 verse 8, but also the fact that the gospel should be shared with everyone regardless of their background. This emphasis must have been revolutionary and in some cases more than a little troubling to people from a Jewish background. But it serves as a clear reminder that the Christian church, and I think it's very, very important to constantly remind ourselves of this, that the Christian church has a calling that is literally as wide as the world, a calling that should be pursued with diligence and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. We may think that this particular emphasis is not all that relevant for us. Um, we are not constantly dealing with Jewish-Gentile issues um, as the early church uh, did. In fact, I guess most of us are from a Gentile background. There is, however, a, an important contemporary application. Um, there are obviously many reasons why Jewish Christians found it hard to welcome Gentile believers into the fold. Certain historical and theological convictions uh, played into their response. It may also be that a primary reason had to do with fallen human nature. Could it not be, and I'm asking this question of myself and of us as a church as well, that they enjoyed their status as being part of the covenant to such an extent that they felt that anyone else sharing that relationship with God might somehow reduce their own specialness. Was it not the fact that they saw themselves in many ways as the ultimate in-group and opening up the doors a little bit wider uh, might reduce uh, their, their, their feeling of being chosen? It is, I think, regrettably sometimes easy to react in the same way by attempting, maybe not consciously uh, and openly, but still doing it uh, by attempting to put a full stop after the gospel. The gospel has come to us. That's enough. That cannot be and must not be when we read the book of Acts. The emphasis on a border-crossing gospel in terms of geography, ethnicity, language, social standing, uh, grabs us from every page of the book of Acts. And sharing the gospel in this way can act as a very, very powerful antidote to any temptation to hold on to God's blessings for ourselves. In Acts, the Spirit constantly leads the church to share the whole gospel with the whole world. And may he find us as a church faithful as we do the same. The last emphasis that I just want to very briefly uh, look at is one that may be particularly relevant um, as we enter more and more into a post-Christian era, and that is very relevant for some of our brothers and sisters here who are representing churches where persecution 
in the daily facts of life. In Acts 1 verse 8, it is clear that the mission cannot commence until power has been received from the Holy Spirit, the event that we see portrayed in Acts 2. Um, one might say that part of this power had to do with the ability to clearly articulate the gospel, uh, to hang in there in, uh, in gospel ministry. But I also believe that in the wider context of Acts, and this is uh, again borne out in many, many sections of the book, it is clear that this power also had to do with the ability to stand firm against opposition, to stand firm against those who um, would be rejecting this message and who would be persecuting uh, the messengers. You cannot read too far in the book of Acts without realizing that this was a constant refrain and a constant reality for those who shared the gospel. In fact, someone once said that Paul's uh, final point of most of his sermons was a riot um, being run out of, uh, out of town. So the narrative of the spread of the gospel uh, is lit by the fires of persecution. Acts tells us of the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, in Acts 6, and of Christians having to flee for their lives before murderous authorities. Sermons ending with deep trouble. Nothing about the establishment of the, the early church was plain sailing. In other words, as the template described in Acts 1 verse 8 was put into action, it didn't just go like one, two, three, you know, sticking some uh, Lego blocks uh, on to one another. It was always accompanied by persecution and resistance. And I guess if we study church history more broadly, there are very few examples that I can think of where the coming of the gospel did not generate at least some resistance. When persecution and where it comes, uh, Acts, however, clearly shows us the best response. Steadfast faith in God, prayer, and perseverance under all circumstances. How are we to respond as a church uh, to this emphasis today? I believe that we should, in fact, continue to draw inspiration and strength from it. It is so easy to survey our task in this society, and maybe also worldwide, to anticipate resistance. <coughs> this is going to be hard. People won't like what I have to say, and therefore use this as an excuse to do as little as possible. However, Acts powerfully reminds us that persecution and resistance cannot snuff out the light of the gospel. Obedience to God's call may, in fact, uh, one might say, will, in fact, lead us into difficult situations and may cost us much. But this also, this call comes with the promise that God will work out his purposes. And as Christ reminds us in Matthew 16, even the gates of hell will not stand against the truth of the gospel and the building of the church. It should also be remembered, again, that suffering for the sake of the gospel is not merely a theoretical possibility for many Christians around the world. It is part of their daily reality. As members of the worldwide church, we should therefore also, corporately as a denominational body and individually, be willing to share in that suffering and should be doing everything in our power to shoulder some of the burden. Western Christians would do well to heed the exhortation found in Hebrews 13.3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Let me conclude. We see here uh, on the day of ascension the beginning of a glorious story, a story that we are in many ways still part of. Opening up uh, this passage and the book of Acts more broadly is like picking up a, a treasured family album uh, from a shelf 
seeing where all of this started, uh, how God worked out his purposes in the uh, very, very early years of our faith community of the church. And as we see how the story begins, uh, we are reminded of the work of the Spirit in enabling the gospel to go forward and to build uh, Christian communities, churches, uh, that treasures this gospel and shares it uh, within wider society. We are reminded that at the heart of the testimony of this Christian community, uh, a fact that we can again celebrate joyfully on Ascension Day, is the witness that we have to the resurrected Christ. And that when we look at our message, this should always be at the core of it, witnessing to the risen Christ. We are also reminded that this message that we're being sent into this world here in Acts 1 was not for one country, one ethnicity, one socioeconomic group, but that this gospel uh, is for everyone uh, and, and should therefore go to the ends of the earth, both in a literal and a metaphorical sense. And then lastly, we are reminded that this was not always plain sailing, that the process that in many ways started here uh, was accompanied by threats, by actual violence, by martyrdoms, and certainly by resistance uh, in, in many, many different shapes and forms. And as we uh, are reminded of this, we should also pray the Lord for great courage to stand firm in the truth and to witness uh, to that truth. So allow me to encourage you on this Ascension Day uh, by just uh, thinking of the fact that this is not a dead letter. We are not simply looking at uh, some historical event in the distant past. But the fact that Jesus Christ uh, has ascended into heaven means that he is king of the universe, that he is at the right hand of God where he intercedes for us, and that he has now um, given us, entrusted us, uh, to us, this task to uh, take this message uh, forward. May he enable us, as the uh, Christian Reformed Churches of Australia, uh, corporately, our uh, individual congregations, and also as individuals, to treasure this message and to share it with the world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts, uh, for the way in which it begins uh, in uh, telling us, Lord Jesus, about your glorious ascension into heaven. And then how we can trace the uh, progress of the gospel through your spirit, empowering people to uh, faithfully share the word, churches being established, through borders being crossed, both uh, physical and metaphorical, through people standing firm despite uh, persecution, despite resistance. Lord, we are humbled when we uh, read uh, these accounts. We uh, may even be asking ourselves, who is equal to such a task? But we thank you that we can also be reminded that ultimately it does not come down human ability, to human fortitude, to our ability even to make good decisions. But that the key is in that very first phrase in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so, Lord, as a body of believers representing a denomination scattered across this great land, we pray on this Ascension Day that 
through your grace, you will also enable, enable us and bless us with the power of your spirit to uh, faithfully and powerfully share this glorious message in this great southern land, a land that desperately needs the truth of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. May it ring out from us loudly and clearly, and may your spirit convict hearts as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.